welcome to another episode of Downton Gabby. This episode, we are discussing episodes two through four of season two of The Gilded Age, which we're very excited to talk about. I am Brandy in Los Angeles. I am Shannon in Seattle. And I'm Teresa in Toronto. So, top of episode two, all of a sudden, we're getting all these great lines about marriage. And I really feel like this was a through line of these three episodes that had me enjoying them quite a bit more because I have been the hater of the podcast a little bit, I will admit that, where everything is kind of thematically coming together about what makes a good match. And that has felt like good writing to me. Question mark. (laughs) (laughs) Good writing. How's everyone else feeling about it? Well, I think it's an interesting time for marriage in general, because just like wealth is changing, it seems like marriage is changing a little bit, such as, you know, Mrs. Winterton, you know, he chose someone who wasn't from a wealthy family to marry. There is a little bit more mixing of the classes. So I think it is changing what makes a good marriage. So I think it's an interesting topic for this show. Yeah. And just to quote the Kansas City chef, it's America. Anything can happen. I may be paraphrasing as opposed to quoting, but yeah. Well, I mean, it was interesting. Like you you compare that with like the, the first quote that I wrote in our notes was from, you know, the very first scene of episode two where George says to Gladys, marriage is not the place to look for freedom. And it's kind of kind of a, a double um, topic there because like, yes, that might be true for a woman, but then it's interesting to hear a man also feel that like his marriage is the thing that dictates how his life goes, especially given reflecting on that, like that we finally see George and Bertha hit a bump in their marriage in these episodes. And that was like devastating for him. <laughs> like he mm-hmm. was like, he was like not functioning as a man without his wife by his side. It's true. And I would also say that that quote is like the first of, I don't know how many unbelievably great quotes from these three episodes and I know we'll we'll note them as we go along but the writing is just it's just been so good and so sharp and Christine Baranski she's like a goddess she gets all the best lines and she delivers them yeah I agree so so the first like plot development at the top of episode two involves Gladys, considering Oscar's proposal, he's she seems to be considering it much more seriously than we thought she was in episode one, which might be one of the few things in these episodes I would I would pull out as like not great writing and a bit inconsistent. But it was such a great scene when Oscar then is summoned to George's office and is oh. summarily dismissed. Poor Oscar, <laughs> I've brought papers. Like this man, I, especially sliding into the Miss Beaton storyline, which I'm really loving so far. I, I'm loving what they're doing with Oscar overall this season because I feel like he was just a little too smarmy in season one. Like I couldn't get a grip on on wanting to root for him. And and even now it's like, OK, it's not that I'm rooting for him to ensnare some young lady into a into a marriage under false pretenses. But he seems so much more sympathetic than he did in season one. He seems like someone you'd want to be friends with, you know, and we didn't get that before, but it's like, oh yeah, this guy would be fun to sit next to at a dinner party and talk some shit with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And I, and I do think that his 
meeting with George Russell was I just felt so bad for him. He also was shot to look so small in that chair. I don't know. He just it was just <laughs> I found myself thinking about the the set decoration of that office a lot in these episodes because what you know we'll maybe we'll touch on the union storyline. I don't think it's any of our favorites. <laughs> but like sorry, what I just fell asleep when you said <laughs> union storyline. <laughs> but I was just thinking about how smart it was to to make that set one where George literally even seems less attractive while he's there, mm. you know, like, like really mm-hmm. emphasizing the two sides of this character where we see this side of him that we love with his family. And then this side of him that is just like borderline fully despicable when he's at that office, because totally. like he didn't have to meet Oscar at that office. It's just like, that's where his bad side lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's his Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. <laughs> yes, exactly. He is Hyde at the office for sure. <laughs> well, I do have to say, Sean has a prediction that George will become a man of the people. So that this is all going to lead to him actually supporting the workers' rights. We'll see. Interesting. Mm. Okay. You heard it here first. Shannon. In the two seconds that he's paid attention while I'm watching it. So let's just put that in perspective. Um, I, I do want to say something about Gladys. Her, her character has been pretty inconsistent all along. I think I think with Oscar's proposal, I think the only thing she heard from that was, you can get away from your mother. Mm. Um, and, and that seemed to be the driving force with her being having any interest in Oscar at all. Because right. I don't... I couldn't see any other reason for it. This is skipping ahead a little bit, but do we think that, do we still think after watching these episodes that Bertha is trying to make a match with the Duke for Gladys? Because the whole affair of the Duke became so much more about the battle between her and Mrs. Winterton, the former Miss Turner, that, I mean, honestly, Gladys is barely in those episodes past the beginning of episode two. So if she was meant to be a pawn in the schemes we just I guess we just haven't gotten there yet but major backseat for that character this season I I think we haven't gotten there yet I mean I think you know Bertha's wheels are always turning and I think the fact that she got him you know convinced him to to stay at um their I was gonna say their Hamptons house at their, <laughs> at their Newport house at their Newport house and mentioned that she had two children, you know, just a bit younger than him or something like that. Mm. I think she's she's all about I think she's all about getting a duke for for Gladys. Like for that time period, that was what every rich lady wanted for her daughter was to to become aristocracy. So, I'm still I'm still firmly in the uh, getting a Duke for Gladys camp. I just think she should have coached her husband at least on what to call the Duke. That was part <laughs> of the goal. Well, maybe she just wants him to invite them to England to his house to meet the other Dukes. Mm. That's that's also possible, I suppose. Anyway, I like the Duke. Just for the record, I since we're talking about him, I loved their conversation at the dinner table. I mean, Bertha is so charming. Like she, she, I remember the scenes where she was first met um, McAllister and she just charmed the pants off that guy. Mm -hmm. And she was doing the same thing with the Duke. It's so, it's so impressive. 
she has this quality and this is like the writing and it's it's very much Carrie Coon's performance where somehow she flips it so that it seems like the other person should be lucky to talking to her Mm -hmm. instead of like the other way around you know like she's the one being so gracious to have the conversation with them and so interested and in them they should feel lucky for that (laughs) yeah absolutely it's really great just to round this out should we talk about george's promise to gladys yes Um, so he says that he will Support any love match if she really loves the man. Maybe she'll love the Duke. Jack Duff's love match. I don't know. I mean, we don't really have any other candidates besides the Duke in the in the cast of characters at this point, right? Not well, yet. there's John Adams. John Adams <laughs> is happy with himself, okay? He is happy with himself. <laughs> He's going to start then- a, an affirmations podcast for everyone. Now, is the actress that plays Gladys, is she a Nepo baby? She, Tysa Farmiga is Vera Farmiga's younger sister. Yeah, okay. She's a new yeah, sister. <laughs> She's just, uh, just like Marion, I find her just really not interesting to watch. They're both so blank on the screen. It just. I've liked Tysa Farmiga a lot more in other roles. I think she's miscast here. Just as I think, what's her face? is miscast. Whatever the hell Marion's name <laughs> Meryl Streep's daughter, whatever her name is. Louisa Jacobson. She's miscast as an actress. Maybe Meryl Streep is going to make a guest appearance at the end of the season. Oh, God. No, that would be interesting. As the the Dowager Duchess. If I could see Mm. Meryl and Christine Baranski exchanging barbs, it would make everything. everything That would make it worth it. Okay, so if we we've touched on Newport, but there is a whole sequence where uh, Marion is there, and Oscar and Dashiell, and and all all the characters are at some sort of tennis match. Is that what it was? Yes. And they're all trying to avoid a drunk guy that Aurora Fane's husband is uh, trying to set Marion up with. Although to his credit, he immediately realizes that this man is a boor outside of the office. Um, but that was like the one sequence where I was like, I, okay, I can see even like how this character could have been interesting if someone else had played it. Like, I don't want to blame it all on the actress because honestly, it's just like, she hasn't been given anything interesting to do, you know, but at least in that she's teaching watercolors. She's a (laughs) woman of the people. I can't believe how significant the watercolors and the alarm clock have been. Oh dear. (laughs) episodes it's like it's a lot even for julian these inanimate objects coming into things okay we're losing the plot here yes yeah that's the point of the alarm clock we're losing the plot (laughs) that's exactly (laughs) no okay so do you guys disagree that marion and dashiell are slightly more interesting than any other storyline she's been given i don't know (laughs) i'm not feeling it there's no heat yeah there's no heat but I am feeling less and less like the end game is going to be Marion and Larry, which it felt like it was set up from the beginning. A, they're barely spending any scream time together. And I I don't know. They just seem so different the longer we go on. Okay. I'm sure this will never happen. But when Marion got asked uh, to teach some classes for Jane Addams, poor people, it seemed to me that like, uh, you know what? Marion should just not get married. She should take after her Aunt Ada and just become a spinster and teach and do good works. Mm. I know that's not going to happen. No, she's horny. She was about ready to run off with that Mr. Rakes. No, she wants to get down. She's ready to read Mrs. Blaine's memoirs. That's for sure. So, (laughs) 
I think she's going to go with Dashiell. I just think it's less interesting than I hoped it would be from episode one. And I don't understand why they're making her seem reluctant about it when the fun storyline would have been just like that they have chemistry, but that she's hesitant about like, you know, replacing his wife or something like that would seem more interesting to me. Uh, Otherwise, Mm -hmm. I, I don't even know what they're talking about in their scenes together. Like, there's no subtext. There's no sexiness, you know? No, he's coming on way too strong. And it's also like, maybe she doesn't want to have a kid right away. Like, she's like, I want to go have my honeymoon in Europe. But, you know, you got this kid. I don't know. It just feels like a drag. Speaking of coming on too strong, his daughter, like, <laughs> she looks me out. That was freaky. Aren't we a cute little family? Like, okay, fucking bad seed over here. Like, <laughs> try to like poison me if I don't marry your dad like come on it briefly turned into a horror film it really I didn't know what was happening it was creepy no even the way the scene was blocked where the camera was kind of low and they were in that doorway I was like this is like ominous like what is happening yeah I don't I don't know there's a lot happening there I'm not making any more predictions I've been shamed the really like the best scenes with Marion are when she is with Ada and Ada's excited about something and Marion is just like, OMG, you are so cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really and the cool. flowers, the flowers and oh. the bee. It was just great. I was yeah. like, I'm here for this flower plot. <laughs> yeah, I think she and Ada are really, really good together. I don't know who else she actually has real chemistry with. Anyway, enough about Marion. Okay, I know I know what Shannon wants to talk about. S-E-X. I honestly, they okay, they cut to that scene of Larry and the widow in bed together, and I, like, gave a little gasp. Like, it was legit. Like, they were, like, sexy for a minute there. I was like, what's happening Oh, no, here? they are down to fuck all hours of the day. One where her leg is completely wrapped around his body. Yeah, the scene that made me go, I hope this bitch has her birth control in order. Drinking her cranberry juice, she's about to get a UTI with all that sex. So <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually I actually made a note about like what, what birth control were ladies using back then and it w- would have been um a pessary. What's that? Which it's like a diaphragm. It's kind of like what Mary made mm. um Anna buy for her. I just think because when Bertha confronts her, which we'll which we'll get more into, she says like, "Oh, you can't give him an ear." And I was like, "I don't know." I immediately googled how old Laura Benanti is, and I was like, "44? Like, not impossible, lady." Like, yeah, you know, let's not let's not assume that that won't happen. But I do agree with Bertha that like that is still his responsibility, you know, as a rich man, that he's still supposed to have an heir. I mean, yeah. I get why she's not into the widow. I mean, it's like, yeah, have some fun, but it doesn't really make sense for what he's supposed to be, you know, supposed to be doing with his life. I don't know. The the widow Blaine is so thirsty. It's it's uncomfortable for me how thirsty she is. Well, I think it's just it's also like not the the character narrative that we're used to seeing on period pieces. Like usually it's like smoldering lust that they can't act upon until they do. Whereas she was just like, oh, we're going to fuck. And then she <laughs> fell in love with him, which is like a very contemporary so. <laughs> type of love story. And I don't, I, I maybe they could have pulled it off a little bit better if we had ever seen them doing anything besides fucking <laughs> or talking about how much they want to fuck. <laughs> I was curious, is there going to be any pressure for her to remarry? Because she is 
not that old, despite what Bertha says, that he'll just be waiting for her to die. Amazing line. Wouldn't there be pressure for her to remarry or could she just be a hot widow, hot single widow for the rest of her life? Well, I mean, then then I don't even understand what her deal is because she's in like the best position a woman could be in at that in this era. I'm single and I got cash, you know, <laughs> like no, she's yeah. having her cake and eating it too off of Larry's <laughs> chest. It's great. <laughs> Just go get another boy toy. Larry is not that interesting. You can't possibly be this much in love with him. Like, come on. I mean, she probably had to show him where the clitoris was. I doubt he knew where it was. So. I doubt it too. This this brings me to a, a pressing question, which is what do we think that Larry's sexual history was prior to the widow Blaine? I just like that you said pressing question. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about the clitoris. I, thought, so <laughs> I just want everyone to know that was not written in the agenda. That no, was wasn't. fully improvised and incredibly perfect. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. I don't remember if we ever got any, any implication that Larry's ever been a bad boy, but he didn't seem like scandalized enough to have been virginal. So I don't know. I have a like the fact that he's immediately in love with her made me think a little bit that maybe he wasn't that experienced. Mm, agreed. That seems like a path, like a more logical path, why he's immediately in love with her. I was thinking about that. Like, does Harvard have prostitutes? I mean, they're probably around. They're basically around everywhere. Right. Right. They are around. I don't know. I, I don't see Larry as a as a prostitute going boy. But I could be wrong about that. Probably like politely lost his virginity and that's it. And this is the first time he's ever like come at the same time. So he's like, well, that must be what love is. We really could have used a scene between him and Oscar where Oscar like presses him to give some goss because all of these are great questions that we're never going to get the answer to. Right. And Oscar's really the only person who can ask them. Mm -hmm. Right. Because yeah. again, like that, this is the thing with a lot of the characters on the show is that they don't have like a close friend we can see them shoot the shit with. And that is how a lot of like more, more intimate conversations, more intimate information could be conveyed to us. And yet we don't get a lot of that. We do have Gladys and Carolyn Astor. Yeah, but she wasn't even on these episodes. Like they're like away. I don't know why they're not using that character. Like I have to assume that the actress must have actually had like a conflict because it seems really weird not to be using that character actually with the storylines that they have set up. For sure. I wonder if 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 we could arrange like Mrs. Fish could have another house party and make everyone play truth or dare. Mrs. Fish is like time for seven minutes in heaven, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> then we get to the really get to the bottom of things. Yeah, I mean, I've I've enjoyed the widow storyline just to have something spicy. I mean, we never had anything this spicy and down everything was very off screen. So this has been fun to get to see a little, little sauciness. I mean, the sauciest person that we've seen was Mrs. Winterton. Should we get a little bit more into oh. that? Bitches back in town. The sequence of the servants finding out as much as I was like, Bertha, you really needed to have told them. It was, it was pretty funny. It was amazing. Everything about her. I mean, this is such a juicy idea for a storyline. I feel like everything about the Mrs. Winterton rollout has been so well done. Like I, I, I rewatched the scene where Ward McAllister introduces them and you just see this, pe these people walking behind Ward McAllister and you can't see her face because it's being blocked by him. Mm-hmm. 
And then suddenly, like, he steps aside and there's Turner. And then immediately cutting to uh, Bertha, who looks like she's going to vomit all over everything. It was just really, really well done. And then cut to credits. That's it, folks. It's all you get. That was a great ending. I was quite delighted. It was just delightful. And then the way that the servant, the servants are sort of sequentially finding out and poor Adelheid traumatized for life. But yeah, it's just, it's been very, very well done. Yeah, I think you made a note in our little agenda here about, I think it's in episode four when Mrs. Astor summons Mr. Winterton to tell him that they are going to be losing their box at the opera which like this is this is where the opera storyline is coming in handy right like this like tangible thing that people can be losing or gaining while the interpersonal things are going on it's very subtly written and the dialogue is delivered obviously by these like two veteran actors very well as we start to figure out that he doesn't know her backstory Mm -hmm. and mrs astor doesn't want to be so gossipy to be the one to spell it the fuck out for him (laughs) but she really skirts that line she really she really does i i I thought it was masterful again great writing and great performances and 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 i really i thought mr winterton was so sweet like defending his wife the way he did Mm -hmm. He, he was really like what are you talking about you know, and then you realize, ah, oh, he doesn't know. Which is really shitty. But also, like, dude, do your research. I know, right? He's got all this money. Isn't there, aren't there some men from Pinkerton's who aren't working for George Russell that could have helped him out, maybe? I mean, maybe, maybe he wouldn't really have cared because, like, he's, uh, yeah, he's an old, rich guy marrying a young, hot woman with no research. Like, mm, maybe he doesn't want to know, you know? Mm-hmm, um. Mm-hmm. But then she seemed like there were two major missteps that Mrs. Winterton made, I felt. Number one, not taking Bertha's offer of fake friendship and instead throwing the George affair back in her face was yeah. just stupid. And acting like they slept together. Yes. Throwing uh, fuel on the flames. Exactly. When she could have just skated into society under Bertha's wing because Bertha wouldn't want to have wanted anyone to know about the whole ladies made thing. And then two, not coming clean to her husband for real when he confronted her because that story is going to come out too. Like you were a companion. Like all of his questions were like, what? (laughs) Like like, this story is never going to hold up under any degree of scrutiny. I mean, this, this woman has just, she's, she's not a good enough schemer. She is going to be crushed under Bertha's machinations. Well, she wasn't good at scheming her way into George's bed either. This woman is got a lot of failures so i don't see this turning in her favor but i loved her tantrum it was great there will be other dukes i only want this one i don't want other dukes it's so good it's so good yeah i found him he's mine cut to cut to credits again amazing so really things things aren't that different in america no matter what the michigan chef says He's from Kansas. Kansas, I'm sorry. Kansas, Missouri, wherever. The not French chef. I was was originally kind of dreading the whole Turner thing because I just thought, ugh, another devious maid. You know, Julian just can't stop writing these devious maids. And I think I wrote in the agenda, like, did a devious maid bite him when he was very young? I know. He's got some sort of trauma. 
he's working something out. And I thought, I don't <laughs> have the patience for this again. But but I, I love the way that this has been developed and the fact that like Turner's just <laughs> taking a deeper and deeper hole for herself. I don't know where this is gonna go. I I really believe that her husband is just gonna like support her. The best moment too, well, not the there were many best moments. Uh when she sat down next to Oscar at the Duke's party. No. And he was like, hello, like, and just loving it, just like fully loving the the entire storyline he was creating in his mind upon envisioning her. <laughs> like another great Oscar moment. A great Oscar moment. I and mean, what a week he's having. First he meets Oscar Wilde. Oh God. And then he has that whole thing with uh, with Turner. Do you think that Julian Fellows doesn't like Oscar Wilde? <laughs> because why why uh, why dredge up his bad first play like that and just slam the poor man? It was hilarious though. That was though <laughs> I don't think that was Julian's idea. That's too clever for Julian. That was someone else in the writers' room that's like, what if we did Oscar Wilde's worst play and everybody is like struggling to stay awake? Because that's hilarious to be like, oh my God, everybody hates it. It's it's funnier than everybody loved it. It was pretty funny. It's his first play. Thanks for that uh, little Wikipedia link, Brandy. Yeah, I had to look it up because I was like, is this supposed to be funny? But no, it's a tragedy, but obviously a bad tragedy. I mean, we all know (laughs) what Oscar Wilde is actually known for, right? It's not that, so... He it's his first play. He'd been writing a lot of poetry before that and and was really like celebrated for his poetry. And and like this play like did not do well with the critics, but it's the right time. So I don't know, maybe they said, you know, be fun. Let's get Oscar Wilde in for a scene. I don't know. Um, But this is the this is the play that it would have been his his uh, like glory days are like the 1890s. So, okay, so we're too early for that. We're too early for anything good. But I, I thought it was I thought it was fun. I mean, my favorite part of the whole Oscar Wilde scene was was him like checking out John Adams and Aurora Fane being absolutely clueless about homosexuals. Right. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. <laughs> uh, I wonder if he'll come back or if that was just like a fun little one off. I don't know. I would have liked to see him at the Duke's dinner. But on the other hand, he would have like sucked all the oxygen out of the room. So yeah. maybe we don't want him there. Well, should we get to the big love story? Which, which, oh, oh, that big love story. Ada and the priest, (laughs) whatever his name is. The rector. The rector. The rector, the erector of, you know, they love watercolors. They love flowers. They love rain. They love choir music. They're perfect. Tales all this time. Listen, the dog loved him. Everybody loves him except Agnes, Okay. Well, poor Agnes. I mean, you saw what her life's going to be like. It's just going to be, you know, sitting at dinner by herself. And that's what was so great about that dinner scene with the flowers and the bees. It really just comes out of like, she doesn't want Ada to leave. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she loves Ada and she also loves abusing Ada. You know, (laughs) it's both. Yeah, it's complex. And it's also a reminder that even though Agnes was married and had a child and everything, she never loved him mm-hmm. like they never she's never had a love so she can't empathize like i don't think she really knows what Ada's feeling so i think it's really sweet and i have to give credit to cynthia nixon like i really forget that she's also on sex in the city like she feels like a really different 
character here and like her acting is so good. And I never would have thought of her in this type of role. So I just, I've really enjoyed Ada this season a lot. Yeah. She's such a good actress. And, and, you know, I was like in my brain trying to picture her as Miranda next to her as Ada. And at the same time, Christine Baranski as Agnes and then her as Diane on the good wife and then the good fight. I mean, really like these are like polar opposites, these roles. It's so nice to see Christine Baranski playing against type. Mm -hmm. Agnes is kind of like his dowager countess character. Mm -hmm. Like she gets all the best quips and things. When she asked Ada, have you taken chatter pills? She was slamming Ada's flirting skills, man. But like they they worked. She got that proposal. He cried a tear of joy trying to propose to her. It was really cute. That scene was good. The the scene where they went on their little date for the watercolors was a little like, uh, okay. <laughs> like their, their scenes together are interesting when other characters like Agnes are there to like play off of them, but they're kind of boring on their own. They're sweet. I'm happy for them, but they're boring. I don't know. I started cringing a little bit. Like the watercolor scene for me was kind of difficult to watch. I can't believe you haven't like you said you, no more predictions but the clam chowder was your great triumph oh, yeah <laughs> seriously i so called the clam chowder you called the clam chowder so hard 100 percent called it i know i felt really really good about that did you fist pump in the air and you were like <laughs> yeah. yes yes clam chowder <laughs> randy i love your comments about how it's getting to be like a rom-com they literally are caught in the downpour in the park. I was like, oh my gosh. I loved it. Weird. I, you know what? Y'all haters. I love the watercolors. I love the park. I loved all of it. You were like, I, my, this is my dream. I want to go to a, a random gallery and be mansplained about watercolors. <laughs> That'll make me fall in love. <laughs> I think she was so thrilled to have anybody just talk to her. Yeah, most true. people just talk to Agnes. Nobody ever talks to her except Marion. I think she was literally like, no one's ever sat and explained something to me. I wonder, like, was she, did she have as much education as Agnes? I mean, she just feels so neglected that, yes, mm. I didn't like the mansplaining, but I think she was just so happy that someone took an interest in her in her mind. Yeah. I mean, what are the odds that her favorite watercolorist has a show <laughs> and... <laughs> director even knows him it's fate okay it is it's fate it's fate it's such fate I was thinking when you were talking about how like it's getting so rom-commy I had this idea that maybe in a future episode they would like be getting ready for the wedding and then Ada would get scared and leave and jilt him and then he would be like riding in a carriage chasing trying to get to the ship docks before her steamership leaves for Europe. They should do that. And then they should stunt cast Julia Roberts to come out <laughs> and be like, don't get on that ship. Amazing. <laughs> don't, couldn't, can't you see that? Like every rom-com ever. I definitely think we're going to see something this season of her feeling that she can't go through with it because of Agnes for sure. Like this is not going to go smoothly. for. Me. Oh, Agnes is going to get sick. I'm calling it right now. Ooh. She's going to be sick with a fever, supping broth, basically in a coma. And Ada's going to be like, I can't leave her. Right. There's got to be a problem. There's got to be some something in the way. I got to say, though, 
props to Robert Sean Leonard for bringing those tears. Mm. Like I was affected by that, that he was like basically weeping as he was proposing to her. I think yeah. it's sweet that they're both it's just sweet. finding love at such an, you know, older age. And they do have a lot of interests in common. And I feel like even in that era where people are crossing classes, it's very hard to find someone who just likes the same things you like and to have a good conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they both like chowder. That's actually like, I, I was worried. Can, can we legit talk about the chowder? <laughs> because sure, I was finally. actually, actually <laughs> worried that she had overplayed her hand when she was very like, I tried all these recipes for you, blah, blah, blah. Like she reminded like me of myself in high school trying way too hard with a crush. And I was just like, oh no, you're going to scare him off. Don't tell him how many recipes you tried. He's going to think it's weird. But then, but then he was into it. And I was like, see, that's what, that's true love. Someone's into it when you're weird. That's true love. I think it's true. I think, I don't know. I had this weird theory. Oh, here I go again. I'm just going to embarrass myself again. I had this weird theory. Like every time Oscar saw the rector, it was awkward. Like the in episode one, all the ladies are, let's go say hi to the rector. And, and Oscar's like, no, no, we don't need to do that. Like, why would he say that? And then when he, the rector comes for tea and Oscar shows up, he basically barely acknowledges the rector and the rector's like, oh, gotta go. I feel like that is clumsily more related to Oscar's like little bit of self-loathing that he has that John Adams calls him out a little bit more on, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and that he maybe feels like he's a sinner somehow. Yeah, that's the way I took it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Where else is his facade the most like upsetting probably for anyone than at church, you know? Mm -hmm. True. Very true. Yeah, I don't I don't think that that's the case now, but I I don't know. I was already looking for obstacles in episode one. Okay, my other prediction. So either she's going to get Agnes is going to get sick and be like in a coma or she's going to get in like a carriage accident and get like paralyzed or something. It's got to be really dramatic and she's got to be physically incapacitated Hmm. and Ada Uh... cannot leave her. I really feel like it's going to be something more fake. Like, I feel like she's going to be like fully like trying to interfere. It's not going to be like, you know, something happened. It's going to be like she did something. I think there's that too. And I think, I think maybe it starts as that and then ends up as something physical. But I think that's absolutely in Agnes's character to do that. And she's definitely going to try and cut away at her confidence. Can we go back to a happy marriage? Can we go back to Bertha and George? And how stupendous this acting and writing has been of this whole Mrs. Turner's thing, sorry, Miss Turner, Mrs. Winterton, even though I feel like Bertha was a bit overreacting in the beginning, but like the way she felt that betrayal and the way he felt just adrift without her and then them coming together. And like, I think you're right. Something you said earlier in the podcast, Brandy is like, I think his number one like driver of his value in his life is that he has her back mm-hmm. and that like their marriage is more important than his business or anything to him. And I just really got that in these episodes and it was so wonderful to watch. It was fantastic. It was really well written, really well acted. And I don't know if I think Bertha was re- overreacting at first, like, because, because we believe that they are so simpatico with each other that like everything that either one of them does is for the both of them somehow. Like the idea that he had been keeping something that 
icky from her. Like I can, mm. I can see the reaction, you know? And, and I think she finally admits at the end that she never thought he actually fucked Turner. It mm-hmm. was just the fact that he felt like he sh- did, couldn't tell her that was, that was the real betrayal. And I think it also just really re-emphasized for me how much they both feel like outsiders around everybody else. Mm. Yeah, Neither of them really fits within their worlds. They're newcomers to those worlds. So it's like, if we don't have each other and we don't have honesty here, then what do we got? Because we can't be honest with anybody else. And so I just, it was a betrayal of that. Like, you're the only place I can be my true self and be safe. And if I don't have that, then I don't have anything. I loved it. I loved it too. And I think they did such a nice job in episode one. First of all, George talking about having a love match and he's obviously thinking mm-hmm. of his marriage with Bertha. And then when he surprises her visiting her in Newport, do you remember that? He just, sh- he shows up unannounced. And I think the Butler is like, really, you're going to show up unannounced or something like that. And Bertha is so happy to see him. And she immediately drags him into the conservatory for a little makeout session a makeout session where he was like hand up the skirt like oh I was yeah like, it was like two seconds but it was a hot two seconds <laughs> it, was, it was so hot so i i like like i love the intention of this um season where things are done with intention mm-hmm. like they're actually building up storylines so in the first episode you have reinforced what a great marriage they have so that when they have the falling mm-hmm. out it's so painful yeah um to watch and his line when they're kind of fighting but sort of making up for me no one living is more important than you like that's just everybody wants to hear that from someone right yes. like, this is such a good line and the way that he said it with like this little like heartbreak in his voice that she could ever have doubted such a thing you mm-hmm. know yeah great, great. i'm glad great, they're great, back great. together we I'm see so, so few relationships like this on TV. We really do, where it's just like through thick and thin, we are partners. I appreciated this storyline, like reinforcing that because I do feel like you're always worried about the couple breaking up when you're watching a TV show mm-hmm. that they're going to make them break up to keep things interesting. And it's one of my biggest pet peeves because I really think, like, if you're a good writer and if you have, you know, a driving force behind your show, you shouldn't need that kind of bullshit. You don't have to do like oh will they won't they for forever like you can just have a couple be interesting together you really can yeah yeah and you can have a will they won't they of just like these things happen in marriages and you have to reaffirm that yes i choose you all over again Mm. you know and that's what i feel like they did at the end and it was just it was just really beautiful and i guess i'm gonna say this i hope gladys and larry find the same but they're both kind of such frivolous people we'll see we'll see larry's larry's trying to be more serious sure Sure. i mean i wish i had felt more sorry for him when he got dumped but like the character just hasn't been built up for enough for me to care so yeah brandy i don't even think he's working on that house he's literally (laughs) just fucking the owner and he hasn't even done anything wait that house okay first of all the house is made of wood that's number one okay what are they gonna do cover it with stone because i saw those plans i saw the new symmetry he was proposing and that's a stone house and that house you are the literal only person who paid any attention to i don't even know what you're talking about did you pause it or something oh look look i think i think this is my job here right (laughs) 
I mean, this is your job. You're the details and research queen. That is true. But I just, I just don't understand. Like nothing's happened with it, but it also doesn't make any sense what, what he's doing. Yeah. You take the stones and you glue them on the wood. It's a new (laughs) technique. So I don't know. Okay. That's all. (laughs) That's all. Okay. So we've been talking about multiple storylines that have flowed together, like quite well. And once again, there's mm-hmm. another storyline going on that's good, but so separate that it's jarring when they cut to it. And of course, I'm talking about Peggy and her trip to Alabama. I, I feel like I need to like take a breath before even talking about this storyline because it feels just so separate and so much more serious than anything that's going on in New York. Oh, for sure. And and when we see Peggy with Agnes, he's she's literally sitting there with a notepad in her hand. That's mm-hmm. it. That's all we see of her in that world. And then there's this, it's like, a, it's a whole different show. It's, I mean, I love it, but it's so odd the way that storyline has been, dare I say, segregated from the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I could deal with it if Peggy was just having more fun. This is my, this is my issue. She's in the upper classes. She should be also having some frivolity in her life and silliness. Like, she doesn't have to work. Her parents have quite a bit of money. You know, they have servants and stuff. It's just like, I feel like because of her race, they're making her have a really serious storyline instead of just like, let her have some frivolity and dances and find like, you know, there's some good fucking dances happening. And it's like, she's just always having to talk about dead babies and serious topics and falling now for a married man. Why are they making married? I'm so mad. He wasn't like, I'm not crazy. We never heard about this wife, no. the printing press no. man's wife. It, like I No, and we've been getting all this chemistry and now she's, I feel like it's just setting her up for a torturous thing again. And like, let this girl have fun. Let her go dance. Let her just we be silly. We desperately need some sort of like Peggy's cousin- rose character to come in and take her to some dances and like you know yes you're totally right show us that side of what's going on in brooklyn and you can do the episode where they go to alabama and all of that but yeah have have it be in relief to something else because it's just tragedy at home and tragedy in the south and big conversations with booker t washington which i literally laughed out loud when they started name dropping Booker T. Washington's name, because I was like, Julian can't be so bold that <laughs> he's writing Booker T. Washington into his America show, but he is. And the scenes were actually good. So yeah. as you, I can only assume he didn't really write them. As yeah, the dinner write. scene was awesome. It was really yeah. good. He was wise enough when he realized that there needed to be some black people in this show to have a a, a black producer, a black co-writer. Um, he's not credited alone on writing these these shows. No, but he is credited alone on writing the episodes. And I mean, I know enough about TV shows to know that that doesn't necessarily mean that he that other people didn't write individual scenes. But it it kind of bothers me that their names aren't actually on the screen yeah. for the for the episodes where these storylines are so are so important. I just like we all just know that he did not write that dining table scene where they no. were having a legitimate fucking real argument about the best way to approach the the plight of the african-american you know (laughs) there's no way yeah no he wrote one black character in downton ever the jazz singer so (laughs) no 
No. And I like, I actually love that Peggy is so passionate. Like, I love that she talked her way into this, you know, going down to Alabama to get the story. She's so tenacious. She's so passionate. She's willing to milk a cow. I love all of that. I think I really, my biggest beef is the dead baby. Honestly, it's just, I really hate that storyline. I yeah. hate this dead kid hanging over her when she should be in the prime of her life, enjoying the affluence of her parents have brought her into this world. Like we talked about, her dad was in slavery and now they have servants and they live like a very like upper class life. And we don't even get to see that and get to see her enjoy it. And that's where I just need more balance. I need to see her joy. Well, that actually, if they had properly planned long-term, would have been a much better like background for her going into this like reality check of the South, right? Yeah. Like, then we could have really like seen a character who's enjoyed a certain stratosphere that isn't available to 99% of freed slaves. Yeah. And I don't think you would have to make Peggy, a more frivolous character, she could still have her same personality. But when she's experienced so much tragedy in the North already, it's less severe for her to come see people suffering in the South. Yeah, I agree. That contrast would have been way more interesting if it's like, like they've said this about her so many times that we didn't see it. Like the life she has is not accessible to anybody in Alabama. Right. Like let us let us see that a little bit more and yeah. and I'm I'm talking here about what makes a satisfying TV show more than about what like the reality for people in that world at that time would have right. been, right? Like I'm not trying to say like that it would oh, let, why don't they just show her having no problems in the north? I'm just saying like this is this is what can really create like big character moments. You have to have some contrast and we're just not quite seeing it here. I think that one of the things I liked in season one about Peggy's story was that she is from a wealthy Black family. And, you know, the infamous Boots delivery <laughs> really, really was all about that. Like, mm -hmm. Marion just assumed she was, I don't know, poor in yeah. need of used boots. And and in fact, their family is really affluent. They have a beautiful house. And, and I'm sure they're part of a society that has parties and balls and yeah i want to see their dinner parties the society exists i agree give her this sort of fun and 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 the privilege of her parents success and let us see all those actors who never get to be in period pieces come through in their gowns like come on this is a massive missed opportunity i know she's barely wearing the same outfit twice like she's always wearing different clothes her mom is always wearing different clothes like well, she had to go she had to pop into brooklyn to get her summer wardrobe you know like <laughs> and as you say brandy i think in contrast to that life going to alabama and really getting a a, a dose of reality would be all that more powerful and i think there's a way to write it that wouldn't have seemed scoldy to her wouldn't have made her seem naive like we we all know that there are realities going on in life that don't touch us and it's jarring when they when they come along yeah. right like I just I think it could have been a lot more powerful even though a lot of the individual scenes were quite good I'm still focused too much on missed opportunities when it comes to this her whole storyline you know who should have the dead kid and would have deepened their character <laughs> is Marion that would have been better if she had actually run off with Mr. Riggs gotten pregnant had to hide out like Edith and had the kid, 
found, you know, that would have been so much more interesting for her character and hiding that from Agnes than Peggy's character. I wonder if it really would have just felt too much like the exact same storyline from Down with Edith, though. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, but it happened so off screen that's with true. Edith. That's true. The whole the whole dead baby thing, like T. Thomas Fortune and her, they had heat from the first moment they met. Isn't that enough of a plot <laughs> without him having to be married and having his own dead baby? It's so weird. It's so weird. And then when she, when her mother is saying, don't go to Alabama, you're not considered a human down there. She pulls that dead baby card again. But can we just applaud Audra McDonald's performance in that? Oh, she's amazing. You know, Beautiful. whenever she pops in, again, not enough to do on the show because they haven't built any other storyline for that family. But like, just let me just waltz in, break your heart for three minutes and then you'll bye. you know? <laughs> yeah, but I want to see her in her Bertha scene. Yes. Sitting at the dinner party, charming the pants off people, drinking her champagne. Um. My final thought on T. Thomas Fortune. Mr. Biceps, that's his name. Mr. Answers, opens the door in his underwear. It was a robe. Come on. It was was a pee. And he was about ready to go. It's fine. Listen to me. Listen to me. She knocks on his door. He opens it. All he's wearing are some little white skivvies. Peggy immediately recoils in horror. And then he puts on his robe. Maybe I miss the skivvies. I think I miss the skivvies. I need to go, go back. Go back and watch it. Listen, <laughs> They're skivvies. My, my freeze frame gets such a real good workout with this series. But <laughs> who does he think is knocking at his door that he's going to walk up in his underwear and open the door? Like, what is that? I'm not complaining, mind you. But you're kind of complaining. Sounds like you're complaining. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not complaining about, you know, the visuals. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go back and see the skivvies. I can't believe I must have looked at my, I was taking notes. I must have looked down. God. You looked down for a second (laughs) and you missed T. Thomas Fortune in his underwear. I just find those scenes so hilarious because I just don't think people do that. Do you think HBO gave Julian the note? We need more sex in this. We need more sexual tension because this is like, way more sex than was ever on Downton. So HBO Max, which I will continue to call it rather than just Max, has started like posting Netflix style, these are the top shows rankings. Mm-hmm. And Gilded Age is number one. Like it's their top show according to while well, they're self-reporting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a hit. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's just because people want period pieces and not a lot of folks take on the like the cost of making those that's making it a hit like this season has been really good but i feel like it's been the top show from like episode one Mm -hmm. um so i yeah i don't know what their directives towards him would be that's an interesting question well bridgerton's very sexy so maybe they were like if we're doing a period pace we have to have more sex in it to compete with bridgerton you know maybe Give me those George and Bertha outtakes then. Ooh. <laughs> oh my God. Her outfit when they were touring the opera house was like, oh. what was that? that? Like a little white. cape thing? Uh, okay. When are we going to get the like Game of Thrones table with the different opera house boxes and like who's going to what, you know? Okay. I know we, we need to start wrapping this up because we're, we're going long, but there's one. 
There is tellingly one major storyline that we haven't even mentioned. I don't want to. And it's the valet. The valet. No, no, no. Life is too short. I'm With sorry. With his daughter. I just need to say, this actor whose name I know you to, you know Teresa, you've told Michael, us and I forget Michael again. Michael Cerveris. He's a brilliant, brilliant Broadway star. He's really doing his best, but I can't with this fucking story. I Terrible. just can't. No, I can't either. Uh, not at all. And and now I'm going to change the subject and say there is another storyline we haven't discussed yet. What? Well, we we mentioned the strike. Is it not the strike? No, it's not the strike. Oh, I can't go back to the alarm again. clock. No, no. <laughs> it's Oscar and Miss Beaton. Oh, oh no! Well, we mentioned it. We we, we said so we liked it, but but yes, I do want to talk about Miss Beaton. Thank God, something I want to talk about. Mostly that I just like her and it's really refreshing to see Oscar with, you know, a friend. We've seen him with his ex. We've seen him with his cousin, like this and that. But like, I know he's trying to like woo her and maybe marry her. But like, I think you put this in the notes and I had the same thought, Teresa, that like the dream storyline would be that she is lesbian and they can do each other a favor. Right. Like that would be a cool storyline. So I've been thinking so much about that. Um, again, you know, what would Julian Fellows do? Not that, unfortunately. He wouldn't do that. No, he <laughs> wouldn't do that. But I really like Miss Beaton too. And and it just shows you like you can write an interesting young woman character and have her be interesting. <laughs> no, just like you can do this, you know. And we don't know too much about her, but I just find her delivery really good. Her and Oscar's sense of humor gels really well. She's sarcastic. I love that. And mm-hmm. she's got great, great gowns. And you can see that she's been living in Paris because her dresses are a cut above the other young ladies. I don't know what's going to happen. I had this image, this feeling like in the cartoons, like every time Oscar looks at Gladys, she turns into a big bag of gold, basically. <laughs> and I don't sense that with Miss Beaton. I know that her money must be very attractive to Oscar, but there is there is something else there. Totally. And I'm I'm looking up this actress's name, Nicole Bryden Bloom. She really hasn't been in much except, you know, some guest stuff and some like low budget horror movies. Like she is very charming on screen. She's another one who's like doing a lot with not being given very much. And mm-hmm. I just really hope that her character continues to grow because I, I'm loving it. Does she not have a famous mother? Not that it says on IMDb. Okay. I don't well, know. then we got a good actor. <laughs> I just, I don't understand her business problems, but I'm just going to sit tight and see if that, like, I feel explained. like it's like her dad is probably going through bankruptcy and putting everything in her name. Some It was something like that. I Yeah. It's like he's doing some sort of scam with her name. Best of luck to her. Well, something's going to blow up, I think. And I think Oscar will be there to save the day in some way. I could see that. I could see him stepping in and doing a, a kindness. It's coming very easily to him suddenly, you know, when you're with that person where it's easy to be kind to them and nice. And I don't, you know, like that means something. Um, I have, I have one final question. And then I feel like we've really covered the agenda. When Ward McAllister suggested to Bertha that she meet Mrs. Winterton, did he know who she was? Was he totally trolling Bertha? Is this how he gets his jollies? by throwing a grenade into something and just like sort of watching what happens. I, 
It's got to be something because I've never really understood what he stands to gain by playing such a dangerous game other than, I guess, hedging his bets that he'll be in with whoever the winner is. But, ooh, yeah, it's <laughs> he's literally like running from one party to the next, hoping no one sees him, which was very hilarious. <laughs> it was very funny. Um, and who who ratted on on Miss Turner? I don't think Bertha did it. To whom? Oh, to Mrs. Astor? I assumed it was Bertha. I don't I no. don't think Bertha. No, I think you're right. That. No, that's a great that's a great point that it was probably him. Who else would it have been for Mrs. Astor? Uh, I mean, maybe like the servants network, but we don't know any of her servants. They're not like characters that we talk to. Well, and so. McAllister does seem to know the servants. Remember when they went to Newport and he's like, Oh, I know the butler. So he just might be someone who crosses worlds and talks to the staff. Or I would love to see things. more of that if that's true. Like that could yeah. be very interesting. Someone who actually like uses the staff instead of just like pretending they're not there. Right. Which was particularly funny again during the flowers and bees scene. Oh my God. <laughs> that was really just that was like a full-on one-act farce, that whole scene. Okay, we know Julian it. wrote that. That oh, is like that was that was him at the Julian. height of his powers, height of his powers. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Anyway, I mean the Downton dinner scenes were always the best. Yeah. Um, Ward McAllister, I do hope that we find out the answers to your questions, Teresa, because Nathan Lane's having the time of his life, clearly. He sure as he, is. As he always does. And it is interesting to me what he feels like his end game is in this opera war. Mm-hmm. Right. And don't forget, he likes feathers and flowers when he's by the sea. <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Okay. I th- I think we've exhausted this agenda. What do you think? All right, yeah, yeah. We do. We need to wrap this up. But overall, like, I am I am very surprised by how much I've been enjoying the last few episodes. Uh, I really entered season two being like, oh, I'm only going to watch this show because we want to podcast about it and I want to hang out with you guys. But now I'm like, give me the next episode, which is a- the real twist that I was not expecting. No, I feel like this is Julian really hit in his stride. I mean, I think that. You know, the first season was a lot of setup. It was a little clunky and onerous, but this is flowing. And if he can just get some more joy and Peggy storyline, I'm there. That's like my biggest complaint. More joy, more sex. Oh, well, Bring it. Okay. absolutely. Absolutely. So. Well, let's quickly wrap this up with one fabulous thing. Um, I'm going to pick so- something sort of random. So I don't, I don't remember if I mentioned this to y'all before, but for the year of 2023, I did, I've been doing movie theme months. So like all my movies that I'm watching at home fall into some theme. And for November, it was costume drama, which is great for the Gilded Age. And I'm just going to do a random recommendation if people have never watched the 2015 adaptation of Far From the Matting Crowd, starring Carrie Mulligan and a host of incredibly hot men. Like if you want more sex in your period pieces, if you want to like, feel hot while you're watching it watch far from the madding crowd which is also i believe on hbo max right now i mean i literally tweeted that that movie needed to be like needed to answer to crimes of sexiness so Mm. (laughs) and carrie mulligan's one of my favorite actresses and i just thought i thought it was a really 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 good movie so and i had missed it the first time around and only watched it because i was specifically looking for period pieces i had never seen to watch this month and um I absolutely loved it. So that's that. Yeah, I've missed that one too. So that's that's a good one to go back to. 
I'm going to do one that we have talked about before, but it continues to be good every year, which is for all mankind that I have to give a shout out to Brandy for getting me into, which is on Apple Plus, And it's a revisionist history of that Russia won the space war, but it's really about if we invested in the space race. <laughs> so, um, and it just gets better and better. I mean, I feel like now, you know, we're on Mars. That's super interesting, but I continue to be super interested by the female characters and how they weave together. I don't know. I keep waiting for the show to suck and it just keeps getting better. So <laughs> it's like, I, I went on a speech about this show to someone the other day. I am an evangelist for this yeah. show. So um, yeah, we need to talk about the new season offline. <laughs> I will just say there's two characters that could have been thrown away and they brought them together in an interesting way. And I was like, all right, you know, like they just, mm -hmm. when you have a show that spans so many years, it's like decades. You, I mean, literally they're putting people in aging makeup to find new ways to put people together. is really hard. I and can't tell you mm -hmm. the like trust that I have in this writing stuff. Me too. Time. Because every season there's something where I'm like, I don't know about this guys. And then it all comes together. And I'm like, giving a standing ovation in my fucking yeah. like it's so good yeah anyway. it's a show you can completely trust yep i really can't wait to to sit down and watch that that show i'm ex so excited about it i haven't seen it yet so i'm glad that, that needs to be your like holiday yeah. binge when you're off work mm. for a little while because it's yeah really, i love that it's wonderful and the female characters are just incredible mm -hmm. okay my my one fabulous thing is a concept it is the concept <laughs> of the cheese of the month club. Ooh, I'm here for it. Yeah, I'm totally here for it. And if anybody wants to make me really happy, um, you can you can just Google cheese of the month. And there are several purveyors of this wonderful thing. I'm just going to use as an example Murray's Cheese, which is a legendary New York cheese shop. So they have all of these different things that they'll do there's a cheese explorers club bold picks selected by mongers <laughs> there's um the mac and cheese club a monthly delivery of decadent cheese dishes there's cheers to cheese club a guided tasting to pair with drinks shannon you might like that yeah, one yeah i'm into that <laughs> and and like they they range from like i don't know 60 to 100 bucks a month so you know this is for someone you really really love and I suggest that someone is you. So happy holidays, everyone. <laughs> love that. Do you love yourself enough to invest in a cheese of the month subscription? I, I so, I so do. Yeah. I love ah, that. I love it. And I love you. We're recording this just FYI the day before Thanksgiving. So, um, you know, in a thankful mood. And I thank you very much for listening. We will be back probably in three or four weeks to talk about the next batch of episodes. Not quite sure when we're going to record the next one, but we'll leave you in suspense on that. And of course, um, you can find us, you can kind of find us on some social media, but <laughs> we're not always there anymore, but you can follow us individually and hopefully continue enjoying the surprising and wonderful second season of The Gilded Age. I wish you all the very best Duke at your own Thanksgiving dinner. 